Welcome to Scrum Dynamics. This is the Scrum Dynamics podcast, where we believe that everyone deserves amazing applications and you can use an agile approach to slash your project budget, reduce your delivery timeline, mitigate technical risks and create applications that everyone will love. Hi, I'm your host, Neil Benson. How's it going? In this episode, I'm joined by Chris Kendrick, the founder and CEO of Mercury XRM, a recruitment solution built on Dynamics 365 sales. Mercury XRM received a finalist award at the Microsoft 2019 Partner of the Year Awards in the Power Apps category. Chris and I talk about the recruitment industry and the unique requirements it has for indexing resumes. There are a few tips in there for how to write your own resume, but we focus on the system design and the project for which Mercury XRM received their Power Apps Partner of the Year finalist award. We talk about remote training options, incentivizing user adoption, and succeeding as a Microsoft ISV. For full show notes on this episode, you can visit customerly.com slash 49. That's the word customer with a Y on the end, .com slash 49. I'd like to recognize a couple of the Customerly Academy students who completed my Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course recently. Simon Johnson and Ankit Sondi from Illuminance Solutions in Perth, Western Australia. Ankit's already gone on to achieve his scrum.org Professional Scrum Master Certification. Congratulations to both of you. If you'd like to find out how to adopt an agile approach for your business application and achieve your PSM certification from scrum.org, you can get started for free with my Agile Foundations course at customerly.com slash foundations. This is going to be the last episode of the Scrum Dynamics podcast. What I've realized is that the show has become bigger than just Scrum. We've had guests on sharing the secrets behind their successful applications, and it's more than just their implementation approach. And it's more than just dynamics. We've had guests on sharing their Power Platform stories too, just like Chris from Mercury XRM, whose company won a Power Apps Partner of the Year finalist award. So we're going to come right back with a new show next week. We've got a new name, a new theme tune has been specially commissioned, and a new website and 12 amazing guests to help me launch it. So there's never been a better time to subscribe to the show so that you don't miss an episode. If the DNS gods are smiling, your subscription will be seamlessly switched over as soon as I publish the new show. Okay, Chris Kendrick, welcome to the Scrum Dynamics podcast. It's fantastic to have you on. Thanks for having me, Neil. Looking forward to it. Oh, really looking forward to this this episode. Um, what I like to do is to start by asking my guests just a couple of warm up questions to get you going. First of all, um, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, it was healthy this morning. I had, as it's Monday, the best part to start a week. I uh, had a fruit and veg base shake. Is that a is that a typical breakfast for you? No, it's normally poached eggs, <laughs> but uh, it's Monday, so I'm trying to do the right thing. And I'd love to know how you got started. So can you tell me about your, your first job after you left school and how you got that job? And then that'll uh, lead into the second question, which is, what's your current position and how did you land that one as well? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So my, my first job was actually working in a, in a pub. Uh, I, uh, I landed a role as a, as a glass collector. And uh, uh, that kind of brought me out my shell, really. Before that, I was a pretty quiet person. And I, I subsequently then went into sales because naturally being in a pub environment brings you out your shell a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> awesome. Um, and your current role? 
So I'm the CEO and founder of Mercury XRM. We are a, uh, an ISV focused on the staffing and recruitment industry. And how long has Mercury been in, in existence? So we established it in 2014 uh, as, a, as a legal entity and launched the product. Uh, and I did a management buyout of that business um, from, from the other shareholders in 2016. And do you focus on, on internal recruiters in big companies or uh, recruitment consultancies? What's your target market? Yeah, so recruitment consultancies has always been where we focused. That's always been where we started. That was my background. Uh, I ran a recruitment business and I, I'd worked in, in the recruitment industry for about 20 years. But actually, obviously, as the market has evolved and with strategic partnerships that, and integrations that we've done, we now focus on the internal market as well as the recruitment industry. If I, if I think of Dynamic CRM or, or customer engagement as a platform for building an application, there's a couple of if I was going to build a recruitment application, there's a couple of big gaps that I see. I imagine that's what your product fills. But first of all, there's, there's two audiences. There's my candidates, and then there's all my hiring managers and my, my client contacts. Have you modeled both of those within the contact entity, or have you created some new entity for, for one of them? Well, that's an interesting point, actually. We started off with them as separate entities. So we created custom entities for that of the candidate, and then we very much preserved contact for that of the client contact. But single point of truth, know your customer now. I mean, we're all people. We've all got a single LinkedIn profile. So we made that decision to bring the two back together. And actually, you know, with the original XRM model, custom entities and, the, you know, the Outlook um, app, that, that it, with inside Outlook, that, that looked after custom entities very well. And of course, you saw that fall back from there, really. So we wanted to come back to the single contact model because that meant, means we can plug into any of the marketing automation or telephony products in the marketplace. Yeah, I, I've, I've had that dilemma, that design dilemma in yeah. several projects. And it's, just, it's a hard one to know what to do with because you end up with um, a type field that then changes the, the form and all this kind of nonsense you have to do to, to model uh, very different types of people or very different types of company or whatever it might be. So it's uh, interesting to hear how other people have, have taken on that challenge. Yeah, and it's interesting because in recruitment, when when recruiters are having conversations with people, you're either looking to place that person, but actually with a lot of the markets that they serve, if they place that person, there's a good chance they're going to hire for that person. So being able to see everything within one place and then the, the integrations that we've done with LinkedIn and of course Microsoft have done with LinkedIn as well, then it, it's a single record. So that, that's ended up being the right result. I'd love to know more about that LinkedIn integration because my perception is I, I love LinkedIn. I spend at least an hour a day on LinkedIn, but it's a it's a tough platform to integrate with. They're very protective about their APIs and about the amount of information they can share about all the members of LinkedIn. How have you tackled that one? Yeah, well, it, it's taken us a long time, and I'm sure the LinkedIn guys, uh, you know, very protective in terms of who they integrate with. And there's many people that would want to integrate with them, and they've obviously got to pick the right partners. But LinkedIn, again, they'll focus and pride themselves on being a member-first type organization and protecting the data of their members, which is which is great. So, um, you know, it, it took a couple of years in us and uh, persuading them to do the integration. Uh, and then when we were able to and, and sign the formal partnership, then we've been able to work in the way that they're comfortable with us working with their API to make sure that if I'm dealing with you as a candidate, then I've got that synchronization of all of our emails between the two platforms. Oh, fantastic. So so they are open to partnerships. You just have to knock on the door a few times. Yeah, and I think from their perspective, understandably so, they've got to see the, the, the benefit in doing that as well, the right partner. So, you know, there's a few key clients of ours that we share with them. So that's obviously helped us. And the, the, I don't know how much of recruitment today still relies on scanning CVs, parsing that for keywords, 
building up then a, a catalog of, of phrases that I can search for inside my recruitment system. Does that still go on? And how have you done that? Because that's, that's nowhere near a standard feature in the Dynamics platform. Yeah, no, that's huge. And I mean, there were a few issues that we needed to address, really. The first was the way that Dynamics stores and handles data and the way that you can find that data. And advanced find, whilst we've all uh, loved it over the years and it's very powerful, it doesn't really uh, support the complexity of how you'd want to search and certainly not that what the other recruiter we would do. So we um, we partner with parsing providers. We, we work with the market leader that's uh, sort of wrapped up within our solution. So we integrate there. We parse and extract all the key information, certifications, qualifications, skills and experience with rankings against those based on recency, proximity of mentions, concentration towards the start of the CV. And then we push that into a, into an index that effectively we're able to leverage it and, and, and surface that to the end user in, in split seconds. So, Fantastic. I don't know if you're aware, but I, in my dim and distant past, was a, an IT contract recruiter. Uh, that's how I got started. So Not aware of that, actually, yeah. So I I used Cardbox. That was the first ever CRM system oh, yeah. I had. This is in mid mid 90s yeah and then um it was uh, adapt from from bond from software bond, yeah. yeah there was a unix based system that we had to use for a while and i hated it and i kept complaining about it so much that they kicked me into the it department to go and figure out what everybody's processes looked like and what they wanted and how they wanted the system to be changed and that was my start of my career as a crm business analyst um so yeah it uh, brings back some fond memories i wasn't aware of that yeah I, we migrated a customer from Carbox a few years ago and, and until then I'd, I'd never heard of it so uh, and of course i know i know bond pretty well so it's gonna be 20 years old my goodness you, you mentioned there's some of the parsing technologies uh, you know as a candidate particularly in the microsoft business application space <laughs> product names god love them product names keep changing and we quite often abbreviate um, product names as well in our CVs. What, what tips do you have for candidates to make sure that they're using the right Microsoft business applications terms? You know, as a as a recruiter with a lot of intelligence about how the software works, what can candidates do to improve their chances? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult actually, and it's interesting because as, as people that recruit within Dynamics 365, you'll get recruiters sometimes that don't necessarily know too much about Dynamics 365. They'll put that in sure. and they'll, they'll come up with F and O candidates when obviously you want CE. So uh, I think it's always important, I still think, to go back to the to the CRM elements of it when, when talking about it and referencing it. Um, yeah. I think if you talk about CE and customer engagement, I mean, it probably won't be too long before Microsoft uh, give it another name, will it? So uh, I think <laughs> staying close to uh, numerous CRM mentions wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, do, do other industries suffer from the same of frequent name changes and, and complexity there as well? I think so, yeah, and we see it off more and more. So when within our solution, for example, when we build out skills dictionaries, we build we build out aliases of those skills. Right. So a single mention of CRM 2013, CRM 2016, uh, Microsoft CRM, customer engagement would all reference back to Microsoft Dynamics. Oh, super. Okay. The reason I wanted to get you on the show is you were the recipient of a Microsoft Partner of the Year Award. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, you would have received that last August, which given the world that we're in now with, with COVID and everything else, that seems like a lifetime ago. But you know, congratulations on the award. I'd love to find out what you won the award for and tell me about the submission process and how you got there. Yeah, so the submission process actually was was, was not too difficult. Obviously, we um, with the product that we have and the way that we look to position it in the marketplace, we, we use one of the case studies 
uh, from a customer we'd worked with um, in recent years and the implementation of that and how they wanted to extend it for their own business. So obviously we've got a very specific use case. We're very industry focused. We're very verticalized in that sense. And actually what we were able to demonstrate for the customer is sort of reduce their time to hire, reduce their time to first CV. They effectively uh, increase their uh, their net B income uh, by significant numbers, double digit year on year, but actually main, maintain the same headcount. So as I talked about in a, in a conversation I had with someone recently, you know, referenceability wise, it's fantastic for us because you, you're seeing people and certainly probably in the climate we're in now where people will have to achieve arguably more with fewer resources. That, that's where we, we were able to leverage the technology. And that was the submission that we put in for, for partner of the year. Uh, I suppose the other thing that we did about that submission was we, we, we brought about why it was a true platform play. So when we implement the Mercury solution, it's, it's um, provisioned on uh, D365 for sales. We leverage Power Apps licenses to go with it. We've got a multi-tenanted Azure integration layer, which does the uh, effectively the orchestrations and then the integrations with our partners. Uh, we leverage uh, Power Automate, as was Flow at the time that we put the application together. Um, we use uh, Power BI heavily, and then we've got use cases in around bot technology as well. So it's a real it's a real full platform play, um, and that's on top of, of course, Office 365, SharePoint for document um, management and everything else. So, so it was good. It, it was good to tell the story actually, because you know when you write it all down on paper and you position it, you realise just how much of the platform our customers use when they bring it all together. Man, that's, that's amazing. You've, you've built all that out in, in the space of just a couple of years. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, I don't think you've left anything out there. <laughs> maybe, maybe some RPA next time. In the next There's year. a few things that we're playing with at the minute. We're with the Fast Track team looking at a couple of different things at the moment, recommendation engines. We're, we're looking in and around uh, sort of the Azure services, the cognitive services, sentiment analysis to see what we can sort of leverage within there as well. So yeah, we're, we're trying to bring it all into one place. I'm finding more and more of my projects are using Azure services now rather than plugins and things on the Dynamics platform. We're, we're writing Azure Functions, we're doing Azure, building Azure Jobs and, and Web APIs, really offloading it off the Dynamics platform. Um, and uh, I imagine a large part of that for you is, like you said, you've got that multi-tenanted Azure subscription where all the, the intellectual property is really being held. And it means that your, your customers then have a much easier upgrade experience and support experience. Yeah, so every single one of our customers, we, we maintain on the same version. So when we make a release available, we roll it out to all customers at the same time. And that's actually us pushing it into their instance. So um, it puts us in far more control of what happens, but it makes it infinitely more supportable than having branches of code and customizations everywhere else. So there's certainly more work that goes in on our side, making sure that we're not going to, you know, anything's going to break and, you know, maintaining compatibility with one version now from, from Microsoft. But but we were always keeping customers on the latest version of the products. That's something we've done for quite a long time. How has that gone down with your customers? Because Microsoft has been on a similar journey and it's fantastic that they're all getting the latest and greatest code and they're, they're all in the same version. But some customers you know, aren't always a, uh, on board with being upgraded at a time of your choosing, whenever it might be a busy cycle for them. How have they adopted this upgrade cycle that you work with them through? Yeah, pretty well, really. I mean, even, even going back to prior to one version, we would look to put all customers on to the latest version, albeit we did it sort of six months behind the curve from Microsoft. Now that obviously with one version, the quality of those releases being much higher because they're only supporting really um, well, one version. <laughs> um, it, it makes it much better because we get the visibility of it. And then with our release, we, we typically release on a, on a monthly basis. 
to all of our customers. So it's you know it's far more uh, incremental. Uh, there's no major changes, even though we we push new features and releases out. But it's much easier for the customer to accept with, uh, with sort of regular releases. What kind of communications plan do you have with your customers to let them know what's coming in each monthly release? Are you actually communicating with the end users, with the recruiters, or with the recruitment agency's IT department? How does that work? So we'll go to our stakeholders, and then we'll have super users. So we have, we have sort of groups um, that will sort of make those communications out. So we've got release notes that go with it. We've got an application notes and help that they can sort of link to, and they can guide them. Um, and then we just actually, we, we, we started, we, we were holding out for sort of guided paths and the old learning path experience, custom help panes, as, as it's been called for some reason. Reason. And and sadly, because I think it's it, it shows so much potential, it's just not it's not there, and it's not there at the speed that we need it to be there. So we're we're, we're talking to the likes of WalkMe and WhatFix because they've got fantastic solutions, and obviously both work with Dynamics. So we're looking to introduce that so people have got beacons with new features within the application. Yeah, there, there's some great ISVs. ClickLearn is another one that I've yes spent some time with those. Um, so yeah, some great ISVs that, that do fill that need because it is real, and, and Microsoft's just never been able to quite figure it out themselves. Good, good, good way to help your customers onboard really quickly. Yeah, indeed. Tell me about the the project that won the the Partner of the Year award. I don't know if you can mention the customer, but that'd be great. Tell us about the the journey of engaging with that customer, and then working through the phases of the project and deploying your solution for them. Yeah, sure. So the customer that we were working with, well, it's the world's largest SAP recruiter. So they're in around the, the IT and ERP space. Um, it's a business called uh, Red Commerce or Red SAP Solutions, as you'll find them online. They were on an on-premises install. They had a, a number of services with their, in their own offices as well. Um, they're a global business. They were looking for a solution that effectively, uh, first and foremost, sort of moved them into the cloud, uh, moved them away from their service, but also gave them a platform uh, upon which to build and which to scale. They had a lot of ideas. They had a lot of very good ideas, actually. And the way that they the way that they search and uh, found candidates is very similar to the way that I did when I recruited back in the 90s. You know, we were very code-driven. It was all about good data in the system. And actually, a lot of recruitment agencies typically will use sort of free text, you know, Boolean strings to, to find their candidates, whereas these guys were far more driven on structured codes. So we sort of refactored and rebuilt our search uh, technology along with them. And they, and they, had, they were very vocal in that view. But then we also looked at key integrations that we could we could put into play with them. So when we actually got them in and live, uh, they were able to actually build out all of their reporting packs. So they moved from uh, <laughs> quite uh, sort of old scale uh, and old school reporting systems in Excel, and they moved across to full Power BI. And they, they were very very early adopters. So much to the point that you know every big screen within every every office would contain all their Power BI reports. They would make those available to all their all their users. Um, and so they could actually see, and they were able to see the curve of their sort of time to hire coming down, their NFI increasing. And at any point, and it, I don't think they'd mind me saying so because it's, it's particularly impressive, they've got a view on how much um, they truly will make in the remainder of the year based on um, the variations in different uh, countries and their holidays, uh, taking into account currency um, sort of fluctuations, uh, and also all of their very contractor-focused IT business all of their contract to book and, and effectively where, where they expect to extend and fall down and using the data of the past to do it. And then they themselves have, have moved forward with other partners as well to uh, to use Azure functions, build recommendation engines and feed that back into the solution. So uh, it's a it's a big Microsoft play now for them as a business and and, and it was a it was a solution ideally on Microsoft technologies they were looking for. 
Um, does it feel slightly ironic if they're an SAP recruiter, recruitment business that they're building all their back-end technology on Microsoft? Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, again, I won't say too much, but, but I think they had sort of a, a couple of R&D sessions with, uh, with the guys at SAP, but um, I, th I think they needed a, a recruitment specialist with the platform experience, not, not just a, a tech player to, to do that for them. And tell me about the, the project. What kind of time did it take to implement your solution? Is it a very rapid implementation because you've got so much functionality uh, as standard or do you still do quite a lot of customization? What was the Red SAP project like? Yeah, so that actually took, a, took a, a quite a bit longer than we might have done because of the level of customization that we were looking to build into it for them. So there's a sort of 12 to 18 months in terms of the, pro, uh, the project. Uh, and they're sort of, you know, 250 user recruiter business, which is actually, you know, reasonably um, reasonable size in terms of recruitment businesses. But typically we can do projects of that size in sort of three to six months. And, and the critical path in that, it, it isn't the setup of the solution, which takes us a, a day, you know, a day to two days at uh, the first build, because we've actually got that. And, and then there's customization, but it's the data migration, which I often uh, describe to people as a like being a, like a trip to the dentist everyone will uh, will scream when it goes badly but no one ever congratulates you on a job well done you know they and, and recruiters um they, they rely on data so they bring everything with them and that's and that's a challenge that really is a challenge um so you must have some specialist uh, people around your business who just focus on that i imagine just purely, yeah. So we've got a, a sort of data team, and and we made a decision years ago to use the thing, uh, the tools from Kingsway Soft. We'd we'd use very different mechanisms. We'd use the front end, we'd use um, Scribe, but uh, Kingsway Soft is is the tool that we've been using for quite some time. And, and focusing on the the factors that made this project so successful, what what are the drivers behind it? Do you think it was the executive sponsorship on on behind your client? Was it the user adoption and the training program you put in place? Why do you think this project was such a success? Or maybe all your projects are this successful. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say no. I mean, we, we've learned a lot and you learn in every project, really. Um, and so, you know, you keep trying to take those lessons learned into the next and every project's slightly different. And I think this one was a success because we were able to really understand from the customer what it was that drove their, their success. We were able to understand that it was for them, it was getting to the, can the, the best candidate from an existing database. They didn't necessarily need to grow. They just needed to understand that database as well as they possibly could so they could get to the best candidates in the shortest amount of time. So I think the success today, I believe, has been in the fact that they can find their candidates very quickly and they weren't able to necessarily do so. And actually, we've been able to increase the quality of the data over time with them. Uh, I think as well, to, to give them credit, fantastic leadership team on their side and they've taken a very much sort of uh, an inclusive approach with their team but they've they, they've got them very involved throughout the process uh, they see training as as not something that you drag people through but actually it's a reward you know if we're going to show you and give you this technology you know we, we really would expect you to be grateful for it and those that are, i suppose have the best system adoption and the best usage get to contribute towards the ideas and the product roadmap so there's a bit of a reward system that goes with it as well Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, I like that approach. The data migration approach you have to do, do you have to bring all those documents and everything across, all the, the CVs, are those all being migrated into SharePoint? And, and are you migrating all the, you said that this particular recruiter used codes very strongly, so they take all your skills and break them down, I imagine, through a, a pretty rigid taxonomy to come up with those codes. You had to migrate all those across as well? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, that, so the migrations are complicated. We've got about 155 custom entities in our solution. Um, so you'll start with accounts and contacts and then you'll quickly fly down. And so we do a combination of structured and unstructured data when we index candidate CVs. So we take the structure 
of the, the records that they've got from their other systems. And we take the unstructured content of the free text of, of SharePoint data and push that into the index. So yeah, so we migrated millions of record and, and activities, uh, you know, uh, previous emails, phone calls, tasks, appointments, everything that's happened with those people um, across 450,000 candidate records to start with and migrated 15 years worth of activity to, to bring in. Um, we take all of the documents that they have, so the, the latest CV, and we effectively reparse and process to extract all the latest skills and experience. And then we take all their additional documents. So we effectively take all those documents, we map them to the GUID of the candidate within uh, within Dynamics, and then we'll load them through a, an application tool that we've got to put them into SharePoint to a linked directory. Thinking about the, the, the way that you approach the project, does your team use a a repeatable methodology. You said you're learning the lessons from every project and applying those to the next one. Do you, do you have a, a standard approach that your team takes? Uh, we've looked at different methods, actually. But I mean, typically, we've built our own uh, sort of approach and methodology. Uh, we've got an online project management tool, so the client gets invited in quite quickly. and We associate all the tasks and the milestones within it. Some of our PMs will go out to project, but it integrates back into this tool anyway, um, so we can bring it back in there. So we try and keep that sort of visual collaboration between both parties on exactly what's outstanding at any time. Are your consultants typically on site working with the recruitment customers or are you, are you developing the solution and customizing it back in your premises? Yes, we do everything ourselves. We don't outsource any part of that process. So we use our own uh, implementation team, uh, all of our developments done in-house. So typically, as I say, that sort of two-day build of the solution, well, that's dropping the managed solution in and setting up the, the sort of, you know, the Azure integration layer um, to make sure the customer's set up. But thereafter, we'll drop functional consultants on site, we'll understand and we'll build out the requirements document for any configuration and customization that's required. We'll bring that back, uh, back to house, do the work, get back on site to sort of replay it with the client. That, that'll be running in parallel to the, the long and arduous task of doing the data migration. So that's, again, the critical path. How you manage to change your, your business model? Now, we can't visit customers and, and go on, on premises anymore. Um, what kind of adaptations have you had to make within the, you know, the, the current restrictions? Yeah, so I mean, actually, in project, it's not been a problem at all, really. I mean, we've been using Teams. We we, we were big um, users of uh, Skype, Skype for Business, and the, and the PSTN service. So all of our telephony runs on Teams and everything else. So that's been quite easy, actually. I think the biggest challenge has been go lives. So you know, you you we would typically do classroom based training for all the recruiters. And then, of course, uh, on the day of go lives, we'd have people in multiple locations walking the floor. So uh, they've become virtual floor walking days. So we, but again, we're using things like Teams and, and Teams events, Team Life. I've got a client I've been working with for the last eighteen months. Um, we've, they're already live, but we're doing the big version two uh, in July or August. We've got about fifteen hundred contact center users to try and train in a lot of new functionality. Any tips for doing that remotely? Because we were gearing up for lots more classrooms, floor walking. What other tips do you have for doing uh, remote go-lives? Yeah, so I mean, we mentioned a few of those tools earlier, um, and I think uh, if they're right for your business, there's some fantastic functionality they offer. But otherwise, um, we try and train uh, at least, um, complete the training two weeks before they go live, then we'll do a top-up session before the go-live itself. Um, and actually, then we'll try and put some incentives in for the week prior to go live. So we'll put people through effectively a test of the system. We just build a single custom dashboard based on the user. Uh, and effectively, as soon as they can screenshot that they've done all those activities, then they get an early finish. So just try to sort of gamify and incentivize. Um, we know that if we get to day one and everyone's at least been able to go full lifecycle through our solution, 
after the training at least twice, we know there's going to be a reasonable level of, of sort of experience already. And do you find your customers are giving out rewards to, to the top users, whatever way they're measuring that? Do they offering vouchers or, or incentives to try and and make sure people are using it to the full extent? Yes, definitely. And there's different ways that they've achieved that. I mean, when we were back in offices, the customer I mentioned earlier, they uh, they took one of their meeting rooms in, in central London, bearing in mind meeting rooms are normally a, a bit of a premium, filled it full of balloons, put uh, sort of pieces <laughs> of paper with prizes in them, and the best uh, sort of user of the system uh, on a regular basis would go in, pop a few balloons, and take a few prizes home with them. So, you know, there's all, there's all different tips and, and techniques. But I, I also think leaderboards whether that's in uh, in the Power Platform or whether we're using Power BI and uh, just showing who the best users of the system are within a period and then incentivizing them vouchers are, are normally pretty good. But, but the one I mentioned earlier as well, actually giving the best users the first option to suggest uh, product enhancements is, is normally a pretty good way. So if you, you get some bragging rights then that oh, yeah. you're the person with this idea. If you want your voice to be heard, then be a good user of the system and then you, you, you come straight to the top. <laughs> Another idea I heard a, a long time ago when we talk about gamification and leaderboards is actually to have a leaderboard of the worst users of the system and display their names. It's called shamification. I like it. <laughs> Depends what industry you're in as to whether that's going to be a successful technique or not. Not, not everybody appreciates their name and lights. Yeah. You're struggling to cope with a new system. Well, I did like the, uh, the the Microsoft solution, you know, the the, uh, the the solution that they bought many years ago for the for the gamification, and uh, and that was quite good because you could have effectively create teams of users as well. So you were uh, a bit of peer pressure, uh, you know, if there's a few people that are doing quite well and one or two aren't, and the rest of the team will get on their case for you. So. Well, speaking of Microsoft's direction, what do you what enhancements could they make to their platform for ISVs? They, they you know, they, they go through I think waves of embracing ISVs, but they're still slow to do things like come up with a common licensing mechanism that an ISV can use. Typically, ISVs have to build their own. We also have to deploy our solutions on AppSource if we want to stay close to Microsoft, but there's no way to transact. Customers can't buy anything through AppSource, so you still have to have a separate you know, sales mechanism. What other things do you think I, uh, Microsoft could do to really empower ISVs like, like Mercury XRM? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question actually because AppSource for customers that take our solution, it's unlikely that someone's going to have the Dynamics platform or the Power platform and then say, "We're a recruiter. We need a recruitment solution." So every one of our uh, new sales is net new for for Microsoft really. Um, and I think coming actually into bat with us from the off, I think they just need to understand. You know, I think the ISV Connect program uh, and AppSource is very much focused to people that want to add smaller add-on solutions to their existing estate. For us, it's actually getting people to come over to the Dynamics platform. I think for us, assistance, not necessarily around the, the business applications platform, because I think it's fantastic. And I think what they've done there is great. Actually, for me, it would be more commercial for ISVs. It would be understanding how they can help us get people onto the platform, because then there are many people in AppSource with products that, that could sell to our customer base. Uh, and there's many other partners that could do all the wraparound services that we don't offer. So uh, recruitment businesses that wanted to take the finance solutions business central and, and effectively to build out that all those are the proposition, Microsoft would, would win a lot more. So for me, it's more commercial and, and understanding the role that ISVs that do actually a full solution sell need to do. And, and of course, anything around storage would, also, would always help. Yeah, you're in your line of work, you must consume a fair bit of storage. You mentioned there the, the finance side of things. Does your solution go into that? Um, you know, t classic, you know, IT contractor stuff of timesheets and invoices, both 
um, invoices coming from the IT contractor and then invoices to the client. Do you handle any of that? Yeah, we developed that ourselves again, though. So we built our own portals years ago, sort of before the guys at, at ADX were doing their good stuff and, and went on to be acquired. So we've got our own portals, which enables uh, candidates, typically IT contractors that, and, or a contractor. Uh, they will go onto the portal, they will submit uh, whatever document is required. So uh, your certificate of incorporation, sorry, your VAT certificate, your insurances, but then it also goes into time and expense as well. So uh, if you're placed as a contractor, then you can enter your, your billable days and hours uh, and submit any expenses. We bring that through and then when uh, perm recruiters are hiring, then we can create the, the transaction that goes with the, with the invoice, the introduction fee. What one end right to the other? Yeah, we, we kind of tried not to get into finance, if I'm honest. <laughs> so we've gone, we've gone so far to a point where that we create all the information, but ideally then that's where we would work with, uh, with partners like, you know, business central partners or, or people within financials that, that wanted to bring that information into to the, one of the ERPs. Uh, it's been a while since I've lived in the UK and operated as a, as a contractor there, but I understand there was about to be some pretty significant changes to the uh, legislation they were ratcheting up the what's known as IR35. That's been postponed, I understand. What kind of impact would that have had on your business? Or would that really have impacted the, the contractors and the recruiters more than the recruitment software industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when our customers are affected, there's always, there's always an impact on us. And obviously, that's what we're seeing at the moment, really. And so I think there would have been because we were expecting a little bit of a slowdown and a downturn within the, the contracting sort of industry. Having said that, people are still going to need people and projects. So, you know, you might have seen an upswing in, in permanent as well. So I think that the impact would have been felt more by our customers, certainly those that focus in those contract markets. And and actually, with a lot of them, they've had a, a bit of a, a stay of execution, if you like, because this is only a delay, but it gives people uh, time to get ready for that. But for other people, actually, the decisions have been made. A lot of the big financial institutions within the UK had already made those decisions to, to just sort of make those blanket rules. So uh, for some of our clients, the, the, the sort of damage was done. And for others, it was quite a nice uh, reprieve and, and obviously offset some of the damage that, uh, that COVID-19 is, is doing to their, to their forecasts and their, and their order books. Any final words of advice, Chris, on um, how Microsoft Partners can submit a, a fantastic partner of the year nomination that leads to that kind of recognition and um, we'd love to know uh, how, you know how to maximize the chances of our success yeah and i think there's some great people uh, around that can help with some of those responses as well but i think ultimately you, you've got to pass the, the so what and um, there's there's so many there's so many builds that you might do and you'll think I've, I've delivered something for the customer here but many other people will do it how can how can for us what we constantly want to push and if, if we'd have got the opportunity to put the response in this year obviously because that we, we weren't able to really now it was how else can we leverage the platform how can we tell a story that brings together so much and, and so many of the component parts into one place that we can really do something that's that's relatively unique and that's that's what we were trying to achieve inspire this year is going to be a, a virtual conference and of all the microsoft conferences i've been to it's the one where I think the sessions are the least important and the networking is the most attractive element of the conference. They're going to be moving it and lots of other Microsoft conferences are going to be going virtual uh, at least until next July. Yeah, and, and that, I think that's the big loss, isn't it? You know, I used to love uh, when it was about convergence, actually, um, in sort of Barcelona, the uh, the events in the US, uh, Future Decoded in London. You know, Future Decoded, we attend every year because we go and meet clients and partners there. And, and obviously, we walk around the exhibition 
Paul and, and one of those partners we introduced to one of our customers last year. So that, that will be the big miss for us, really. And, and there's different ways that I suppose people get re-engaged, but there's nothing quite like uh, uh, networking at a conference and, and occasionally a few beers that accompany it afterwards. No, occasionally, yes. <laughs> I hope as the restrictions are lifted and we're able to travel again, that I think we're going to see some super attendance at some of these conferences, a chance for us all to get back together, to come out of the, you know, the, the travel bans and uh, and get back together once again. So I'm hoping we can we can meet up soon and and maybe maybe have a beer. That'd be great. That'd be great. And uh, we we opened in Australia uh, the back end of last year, so I was I was over at the turn of the year, but I was I was due to be out there a fair few times. So uh, it'd be good to do it uh, in country as well next time. Chris, thanks very much for joining me on the Scrum Dynamics. Uh, congratulations again on your Partner of the Year award uh, to you and everybody else at Mercury XRM. Thanks for sharing with us the factors that led to the success behind your product and, and your project. I appreciate you coming on the show. I really appreciate you inviting me. Thanks, Neil. Don't forget to visit customary.com slash 49 for show notes for this episode. If you'd like to find links to Chris, Mercury XRM, or any of the other services we mentioned on the show. It's just turned June and my home state of Queensland, Australia has lifted a lot of the coronavirus restrictions. We're starting to get out and about and enjoy each other's company once again. I hope it's the same wherever you are, but it's going to be another few weeks or maybe even months before some of those business applications projects that were paused start up again. Until then, stay safe and well, keep sprinting. Bye for now.